pre-K through the fifth grade. We'll see you later. Give some high fives on your way out the door. And uh, so grateful you're here this morning. It's beautiful to worship with you. And uh, I hope you have a Bible with you. And if you do, would you go ahead and open up to the book of John? And we're going to be in John chapter 16 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got one for you to use. It's right there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you're using one of these black Bibles, uh, I'll give you a shortcut. You'll find John 16 on page 959. And if you just don't have a Bible and you'd like one, right at our welcome desk, right outside these doors next to the elevator, uh, we've got Bibles for you to take. And you don't have to ask permission. You don't need to leave a deposit. Just take it and run. We want you to have a Bible for yourself uh, that you can read uh, and uh, study on your own. So John chapter 16 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. This Christmas season, uh, we are studying on Sunday mornings different passages that deal with the coming of Christ. And so last week from John chapter 6, we considered why it was that Jesus came, the purpose of his coming. And today we're going to study one particular impact of his incarnation, one uh, particular shift that the coming of Christ makes in the life of the believer. If we were to brainstorm words that describe Christian people, what sort of list would we come up with? If we were just to open it up immediately, you could begin to give me characteristics of followers of Jesus Christ. You might say they are loving, they're kind, they're generous, they're forgiving, merciful, uh, sacrificial, patient, gentle, joyful, self-controlled. There's any number of words that we could come up with. We could put together a really impressive list. What I'm curious about is how many words would we speak before someone said the word courageous? Do you think of courage as an essential Christian quality? You should because it is. Not only is it just one quality in the midst of a long list of qualities, uh, I would call it an umbrella quality. What I mean by that is courage is the context in which we exercise all of these other characteristics. If we are loving and forgiving and merciful and gracious and kind and joyful, all of those things happen in as much as we walk in courage in the Lord. Courage is an essential Christian quality. And we need real courage, brothers and sisters. We don't need Hollywood courage. We need real courage. Not superficial, macho, sweaty, like champ of the world type courage. I mean we need real courage. The kind of courage as defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. So how would we define courage? Let's clarify our terms this morning. Uh, I have a definition of courage for you, and here's how I would define it for our study this morning. Christian courage is the willingness to follow Jesus regardless of the earthly cost because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. Christian courage is the willingness to follow Jesus no matter the earthly cost. You see, we've mistakenly thought of courage as swagger and strength, but in reality, courage looks like our crucified Savior hanging from the cross in weakness and humiliation. When's the last time you prayed for God to give you courage? When's the last time you prayed for someone else that God would grant them courage to follow Jesus? We're good at praying for deliverance, 
We're good at praying for healing. Those things are good and not bad. But I'm afraid that the language of courage has been lost from our prayer vocabularies. The Greek word for courage is found uh, 11 times in the New Testament. Ten of those 11 times, it's used in the form of a command. In other words, a speaker is telling someone else, be courageous. Or it could be translated, take courage. Uh, And so, uh, 10 of those 11 times, it's a command given to someone in a moment of crisis and fear. And of those 10 times that it's given as a command, seven of those come from the lips of Jesus. Jesus is often telling people in crisis and in moments of fear, be courageous, take courage, you're going to make it through this. So to the paralytic man whom he healed and whose sins he also forgave, and to the woman who had the issue of blood whom he healed, to his frightened disciples who saw him walk on the sea, and then here in John 16 to his confused disciples on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus told them all, be courageous. So what's your courage level like this morning? Are you facing a situation where it's difficult to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus has something to say to you. It's the same thing he told his disciples right before he was crucified. He told them, and he's telling you, be courageous. Hey, Colin, my mic keeps cutting out, so I want to go to the handheld. So Jesus tells them, and he tells you to be courageous. Now, that's all well and good, right? We, we all really, uh, we, we appreciate that input from Jesus, but we need something more than that. It's one thing to be told to be courageous, but it's not like we can just flip a switch. If we could do that, it would be no problem. And so it can be a real challenge for us to understand precisely where that courage comes from. And that's the point of our time in the Word of God this morning. The passage we're studying here in John chapter 16 helps us understand where courage comes from. So my goal today is to explain the sources of Christian courage so that you'll follow Jesus regardless of the cost. We're going to read from the final section here of John chapter 16. And John chapter 16 is part of a much larger teaching segment. It goes all the way back to chapter 13. And perhaps you remember the scene. Chapter 13 is where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He told them, love each other as I have loved you. And then there's this long teaching, this significant segment of teaching, all on the night before Jesus is crucified. And so it's in that context we get to the end of chapter 16 where Jesus brings all of that teaching to a close with a call for courage. And so follow along with me as I read John chapter 16, starting in verse 25, as Jesus tells us to have courage. He says to his disciples, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, look, Now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. 
Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. So at the beginning of chapter 16, if you were to go back and read, study that in the week ahead, what you'll find is that Jesus opens chapter 16 by warning his disciples about coming persecution. And then what did we just read here at the end of chapter 16? Jesus again warns his disciples of coming persecutions. But he closes those warnings with this clear command to them, be courageous. That final command to be courageous, I take to be informed by everything that comes before it in chapter 16. And that's how our passage shows us three essential sources of Christian courage. Jesus tells you, be courageous. Where does that courage come from? Jesus gives us three essential sources this morning. So where does Christian courage come from? Its first essential source is this. Christian courage comes from our Father's love. Christian courage comes from our Father's love. It should come as no surprise that as Jesus is talking to his disciples that they were confused and didn't quite understand what it was he was talking about. This is common in Jesus' interaction with his disciples. They really do not fully understand all that's happening in the ministry of Jesus and the purposes of the Father until Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls on them. Even here, just literally hours away from the cross, they do not comprehend what Jesus has to tell them. And so Jesus is trying to help them. Earlier in chapter 16, Jesus has given them a figure of speech to help them understand what it's going to be like when he leaves before he comes back and they see him again. The figure of speech he uses is of a woman in labor. Because I think that's what the disciples really understood, is the pain of a woman in labor. I don't think they did at all, in fact. But Jesus says, this is what it's going to be like. I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back. You're going to be sad. You're going to grieve like a woman in labor experiencing pain. But then when the child is born, the pain is replaced with rejoicing. That's what it's going to be like for you guys. I'm going to go. You're going to grieve. I'll come back. You'll rejoice. The day will be defined by the rejoicing. Well, they, they don't understand that figure of speech. They can't process it. And so then Jesus, in verse 25, helps them process a little more. He says, look, I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. Now, look, to be sure, Jesus has spoken plainly about the Father. He's not some riddle master. He's not giving them, you know, that mysteries that they have to solve or word scrambles that help them understand the end times and things like that. He has spoken very clearly. When he says there's going to come a time when I speak plainly to you, the difference won't necessarily be in the pattern of Jesus' speech. It's going to be in the disciples' ability to understand. Their comprehension is going to be different. So he says, I'll no longer speak to you in figures, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. And then verse 26, on that day you will ask in my name, and I'm not telling you that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. This is some really awkward language in verse 26. It sounds negative to us. But it's a hard line to translate from Greek into English, and our translators have done the best that they can. Here's what Jesus essentially is saying to the disciples. In verse 26, on that day, so this is post-resurrection, after the resurrection, the days to come, 
you will ask in my name. In other words, you're going to pray to the Father in my name. And I'm not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. In other words, I'm not going to be your incessant go-between where you come to pray and i got to get up from where I'm seated and walk over to the Father and run interference for you. He's not going to have to do that. Why? Because His death and resurrection are the eternal intercession that gives us access to the Father. Jesus says, on that day, my, my work will be completed. I'll be done doing all that I'm to do on your behalf to bring you into relationship with the Father. You'll have perfect communion with Him, and so you won't need an incessant intermediary to go between you and the Father. You won't need an earthly mediator. No human of any kind to go between you either, by the way, because you will have perfect eternal intercession based on my finished work at the cross. That's what I take Jesus to be saying here. Now, why is it that the disciples and us, coincidentally, as followers of Jesus, why is it that we would have such nearness, such access to God the Father? Well, Jesus says in verse 27, he says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. How incredible must it have been for the disciples to hear those words from the lips of Jesus? The Father himself loves you. How's that land on your heart this morning? I wonder if you need to go home and take a permanent marker and write it on your bathroom mirror and the inside windshield of your car and in every place else your eyes land so that you hear the words of Jesus, the Father himself loves you. How important do you think it was for the disciples to remember that the Father loved them in the midst of all that they would suffer? And I wonder, have you ever had to be reminded of the Father's love for you in the midst of your dark days? The tempter will put this lie in our minds. If God loved you, then you wouldn't be going through this. But the voice of Jesus says this, the Father himself loves you, so be courageous. If I know God loves me, in the midst of my dark day, in my valley moment, if I know the Father's love has not left me, but He holds me even in this, that's a source of courage, brothers and sisters. That's where the strength to stand and to continue comes from, is knowing I abide in the Father's love. The Father loves you. Why? Jesus told His disciples, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In other words, you've believed the Christmas message. You believe that I wasn't chosen by the Father. I wasn't elevated by the Father from manhood to Messiah, but I was sent by the Father. I came from Him. Every time you look at a nativity this Christmas, every time you see a manger scene, you should think to yourself, the Father loves me. I can be courageous because the Father's love for us is an essential source of our courage. There's a second essential source of courage here in the words of Jesus, and that source is courage comes from our Savior's knowledge. It comes from what Jesus knows of all things. Courage comes from the Father's love for us. Courage comes from our Savior's knowledge. So the disciples respond to Jesus in verse 29, and it is vintage disciples speak. Look at what they say to Jesus in verse 29. His disciples said, look, 
Now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. The disciples were so weird. This is such a weird thing to say to Jesus in this moment. They speak truth when they say, verse 30, we know that you know everything. That's true. He knows everything. But whenever they say, now we understand, do they really understand? I think they're bluffing. And I think Jesus knows they're bluffing. Or when they say, by this we believe you came from God, because Jesus speaks plainly. Oh, you, no more figures of speech. Now we get it. Now we, again, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think they're faking it. I think it's like that time you were in the garage with your dad, and he said to you, uh, do you know what a crescent wrench is? And you didn't, but you said, oh, yeah, I know what a crescent wrench is. <laughs> yeah. And he said, okay, hand me my crescent wrench. And you didn't immediately own up to the fact that you didn't know what that is. So you just walked over to his toolbox hoping somehow you would pick the right random tool to give him, and that would be a crescent wrench. And then you, you select something, and you walk back over to your dad and hand it to him. And he says, why did you bring me a pair of socks? I wanted the crescent wrench. Don't you know? But you didn't. You didn't own up to it. You, you're just kind of bluffing to try and, and get your way through it. I think that's a bit of what's going on here. Jesus calls their bluff, though, in verse 31. He says, do you now believe? I mean, this may just be reader's bias. I just, I think sarcasm is dripping off the page when Jesus asks that question. Do you now believe? Because he knows what they don't know. He knows what they don't understand. Jesus has perfect knowledge in this situation. He knows perfectly well what lies ahead, and he had told them earlier in chapter 16 that because of their allegiance to him, that they were going to be thrown out of the synagogues, that their lives would be in danger. And now Jesus has just told them that they're about to be scattered to their own homes. And when he tells them that, I take Jesus to be explaining just what's going to happen in just a matter of hours. When the mob comes to arrest him, these guys are going to split. They're not going to hang around. They're going to run into the night in order to save their own lives. You see, the disciples think they know what lies ahead, but they have no clue, even though they've been told plainly by Jesus. The fact that they don't know what lies ahead means a day is coming when they will need courage. And the fact that Jesus himself knows exactly what lies ahead means that when that day comes, they can find the courage they need. How often do we connect courage with knowledge? Uh, Our greater knowledge, we assume, of any given situation should also increase our courage. And so we want to know what's going on. If I know what's happening, then I I can make it through. Then I can persevere. And so uh, I can make it through the hard time if I know what the hard time is how long the hard time is going to last, uh, how the hard time will be resolved, and what the purpose of the hard time is. If if I know these things, then I'm I'm going to make it through. But Christian courage does not come from our knowledge of any given situation. The disciples didn't know what was going to happen in a few hours. They didn't know what was going to happen in a few years. You and I know nothing of even this afternoon. How can we assume that in our finite understanding of our own world, that knowledge is going to really produce courage in us. It can't. It won't. 
We don't know enough. We can't know enough. But you know who does? Well, our, our Savior does. He has perfect knowledge. And look, He's told us plainly some things that you and I have to carry with us. He's told us plainly that days are coming for followers of Him that are going to be excruciating. He's also told us that a day is coming when death is no more, when He sets everything right once and for all. We know the trajectory of human history. It's going to get worse, but Christ is going to conquer and be victorious once and for all in the end. Knowing that Jesus knows what lies ahead, knowing that He knows how all of this gets wrapped up, is for us a source of courage. Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3? The three Hebrew boys refused to bow and worship the golden idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And as a result, they're arrested and they're drugged before the king. And the king tells them, either you bow or you burn. You're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace if you don't bow before the idol that I've set up. And do you remember how they answered the king? It's in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. They said this. They said, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. In other words, what they say to the king is, we don't know what our God's going to do. We could very well fry this day because of our obedience to the first commandment that we'll have no other gods before us. We don't know what our God's going to do, but we know what He can do. And it gives them the courage to stand. When they think of the Father's knowledge, they stand firm in obedience. They follow Him no matter the cost. So there are some things we know plainly about the days to come. And there is everything that Jesus knows with perfection. These are the things that give us courage. His knowledge, not ours. His omniscience, not our finite brokenness. If, if I look for courage in my finite understanding, I'm just going to come up with a fool's courage. It's not going to be the real thing. It's not going to be the strength I need to endure all things. But with Christ knowing the road ahead and how it all comes to a close, that gives me courage in any given situation. So our courage comes from our Father's love. Courage comes from our Savior's knowledge of all things. There's one final source of courage in our passage. Courage comes from our Savior's victory. Courage comes from our Savior's victory. Verse 33 is simply astounding. Look at what Jesus says to His disciples. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, I might expect Jesus to say this. I've told you these things so that you can avoid the trials, so that you can defeat your enemies. But that's not what he says. He isn't going to remove his disciples from the trials, but rather he's going to give them peace in the midst of it. The world will give them suffering. That's what Jesus says. But he's going to give them peace. And again, this Jesus type of peace, this is a weird concept for us. You and I, we think of peace as the absence of turmoil. Peace comes after the turmoil is resolved. But Jesus understands peace in a different way. For Jesus, peace doesn't just come at the end of turmoil, but 
within it. Peace isn't an absence of conflict. Peace is the steady state of the Christian who walks with Jesus in every hardship. And don't miss this. Jesus promised peace to these disciples whom he had just predicted were going to abandon him soon. You're about to be scattered to your own homes. But I've got peace for you. How tender and gentle is Jesus in this interaction with his disciples? He knows they're about to desert him. He knows they don't understand what he's talking about. He knows they think they do and they really don't. And still Jesus promises them peace. How important do you think it was for the disciples in the future when they looked back on the night that they abandoned Jesus to know that their desertion was predicted by Jesus and in the very same sentence he said to them, peace, you can have peace in me. Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to have suffering in this world and then here's the key command, be courageous. How can they be courageous in their suffering? The world's going to give you suffering. Be courageous. They can be courageous because Jesus has conquered the world. What an incredible statement from Jesus. It's such an audacious thing to say in the shadow of the cross. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. But what happens in the next few hours does not look like victory in the eyes of the world. When he's arrested, beaten by religious authorities, brutalized by Roman soldiers, and then hung on the cross, that to the world looks like complete and utter failure. But in the eyes of Jesus, this is his complete and total victory. When he goes to the cross, he doesn't go to the cross as someone... Uh, in fear or someone who goes reluctantly. He goes as a conqueror. He goes to the cross as a king taking his throne. He's conquering the world. The power of sin and death, he's destroying it all through the perfect sacrifice of himself and his ultimate resurrection. If Jesus were a pile of bones in the Middle East that we could go see on a tour, how could we possibly have courage? It'd be impossible. But the undeniable fact is that our Savior lives. He rose from the dead. And this is what puts iron in our legs and steel in our bellies when the hard day comes. His victory is our victory. His conquering is our conquering He's overcome the world, and so have we as our faith is in Him and we walk with Him. That's where our courage comes from. Because here's the reality. In this room are stories of men and women and families who have faced really incredible hardship. Trials of many kinds, things that you didn't see coming and you're still walking through right now. Griefs that have wrecked you. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors because Christ is alive. It doesn't mean we're not going to have moments of fear. It doesn't mean we're not going to have moments where the tears are many. But it means even in that brokenness, when we are suffering in this world, we can have peace because Christ is risen from the dead. He's our conquering king. He's not some wish. He's not just some hope in the sky that maybe it'll get better. Death 
has a shelf life. And there's a time when you and I will see him face to face and all things are set right. And because of that, in this moment, right here and now, going through the hardest thing you've ever been through, you can have real quantifiable courage to follow Jesus. So where does Christian courage come from? It's not from big muscles. It's not from great ability. It's not from moral perfection. It's not from a winning record. Christian courage comes from our Father's love, our Savior's knowledge, and our Savior's victory. And so in the face of great suffering and temptation to compromise our faith, here's, here's what we remember. We remember I'm loved. We remember Jesus knows. We remember Jesus is victorious. It's his love and knowledge and victory that are the essential sources of our courage. So who is this courage for? Who's the person that, that gets to take this courage and use it in their lives? We may think that courage belongs to those other people who have all the bravery and all the wins. Like if we were to think of biblical examples of courage, we might say, well, David before Goliath. Or Elijah before the prophets of Baal. Or Esther in front of King Artaxerxes. Yeah, these are for sure some examples of courage. But I want you to remember how Jesus expressed courage. Jesus defined courage in light of the cross. Courage is not simply for the biggest and the strongest among us. It is for the weak. It is for the suffering. It is for those who are burdened. And so what it means... To stand for Christ is not to rid ourselves of all fear. It doesn't even mean to humiliate our enemies, but instead it means to live out in our very lives the drama of the cross. Christian courage doesn't come from matching the world's power and wisdom and mockery with more of our own, but it comes from taking up our cross and following Jesus. Writer, preacher, Christian leader, a man named Russell Moore uh, says this of Christian courage. He said, your courage will not be found in triumphant moments when you scatter your enemies, real and imagined. It will be forged instead when you cannot stand on your own at all, when you are collapsed in the wild places, maybe even begging for death. Only the crucifiable self can find the courage to stand. So who has access to this courage? It's the weak among us, the broken, those who, like the disciples, don't understand, don't see, don't know, can't comprehend, those who are hard-pressed on every side. That's who this courage is for. How do we access it? Plain and simple. If you find yourself this morning struggling to follow Jesus, your courage is going to come from a nearness to Him. If it's found in his love, in his knowledge of all things, in his victory at the cross, then you want to put yourself as close to Jesus as you possibly can. And you've done well this morning already, unknowingly, just by being here with your brothers and sisters, lifting our voices together, singing together these incredible truths. Oh, come, Emmanuel, God is with us. And, and if God is with us, it makes all the difference. If I'm near to him, he's near to me. There I find the courage I need to press forward. So where in your life do you need the courage of Christ today? Is there a specific crisis you're facing? Where do you sense that you're failing? That's the place where Jesus meets you 
with all you need to follow him and to persevere. But you won't need courage forever. Courage also has a shelf life. One day you won't need to be courageous because you'll see him face to face. The final battle will be won and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Lord God, give us courage. We need the courage that you give, not, not courage as the world has crafted it and defined it, redefined it. We need your courage, the courage that comes from your love for us, your great knowledge of all things, your victory over our sin through the gift of your Son at the cross. Lord God, give us courage. You know the heartaches in this room. You know the challenges we're facing. You know the brokenness we're dealing with, the sin that we've stumbled into and struggle with, the situations outside of our control. You know all of these things. God, we need courage to follow you because the temptation is for us to fall away, to collapse in on ourselves and to give up. God, we need your courage to persevere and to obey. So, Lord, would you draw my brothers and sisters close this morning to you and give them, give us what we do not have on our own, what we cannot produce on our own. We want to be those who persevere. We want to be those who follow no matter the earthly cost. Lord, let us be your children of courage. I pray for friends in here that don't know you as their Savior. They didn't even know they needed this or it was accessible to them. But, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you in faith, put their trust in Jesus Christ, that they would believe that he came from you and so that they would know your love for them also. Lord, give them the courage to follow you, knowing that it's costly. They'll have to leave everything behind. But in exchange, they get everything for all eternity that you've created and held for them. Lord God, draw them close to you now, that your name would be glorified and your house would be full. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. Let's stand and sing of the one.